A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said to the people, remember how for 40 years the Lord God has directed all your journeying in the desert so as to test you by affliction and find out whether or not it was your intention to keep his commandments. He therefore let you be afflicted with hunger and then fed you with manna, a food unknown to you and your fathers, in order to show you that not by bread alone does man live, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Do not forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery, who guided you through the vast and terrible desert with its seraph serpents and scorpions, its parched and waterless ground, who brought forth water for you from the flinty rock and fed you in the desert with manna, a food unknown to your fathers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. proclaim 
sent his word to Jacob, his ordinances and his statutes to Israel. He hath not done thus for any other nation. His ordinances he has not made known to them. reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because the loaf of bread is one, we, though many, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ your King and Shepherd. 
The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ. And this feast always falls on a Thursday after Trinity Sunday, but in the United States, it's, uh, it's transferred to the following Sunday. So it happens on, I'm sorry, it happens on Thursday, but it, it's transferred to the following Sunday. And this feast has been with us for more than 800 years. In the 13th century, there was a Belgian saint named Juliana of Montcornillon, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who lived a quiet and prayerful life as a religious sister. And she had this profound devotion for the Eucharist. And one day in prayer, she had a vision of the moon, and it was, it was split in two. And she didn't pay much attention to the vision. She didn't really think much of it. And she tried to ignore it, but the vision kept coming back to her in prayer. And so she eventually focused on this and prayed with this image, which led to an encounter with our Lord. And Jesus told her that the gap in the moon was the lack of this feast day in the calendar that he wanted. So our Lord commissioned St. Juliana to work to establish the Feast of Corpus Christi. And at first she was, she was hesitant, and she tried her hardest to deny that she was really given this mission. She didn't want to do this. But eventually she submitted, and she began to tell her superiors about this vision and these experiences, and how our Lord wanted to establish a feast honoring his body and blood in the Eucharist. And most bishops and priests who heard about this, they welcomed the idea of a new feast, although some were, were hesitant. They thought it was redundant. Since we celebrate the, the sacrifice of the Mass, we celebrate the sacrifice of the Eucharist at every, every Sunday, at every Mass. And the clerics, so the Feast of Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi was, it was celebrated as a, uh, as a local feast in Belgium. But then later on, one of the clerics from Belgium was named Pope 
named Pope, Pope Urban IV, and he established the Feast of Corpus Christi as a universal feast for the entire Roman Catholic Church in 1264. So unfortunately, St. Juliana didn't see the entirety of the fruits of her labor since she died several years earlier in 1258. And this feast day quickly gained traction. Everyone really got on board. Many were enthusiastic about it. St. Thomas Aquinas was commissioned to write the prayers that would, be, that would be used at this Mass, as well as the Eucharistic hymns. So a couple of these hymns are Pange Lingua and O Salutaris Hostia, which we still use today. Another one is uh, Lado Zion, which, we, which is the sequence that we heard before the Alleluia today. Eucharistic processions started taking place in Germany in 1275, and their popularity quickly spread. We just had a couple of Eucharistic processions at our Eucharistic Congress this weekend. So understanding the importance and the significance of the Eucharist, it exploded in this time, and it bore a lot of good fruit in the church. The Eucharist is the greatest treasure, the greatest gift given to the church by Christ. It is truly Christ's body and blood. And so the Eucharist, it, it might not look like the body and blood of Christ, but as the hymn says, Faith will tell us Christ is present when our human senses fail. We need to have faith in order to perceive Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. We might not be able to recognize with only our eyes that this is Jesus, but we firmly believe with faith that he is here. We firmly believe that every drop in the chalice, every particle from the hosts is the body and blood of Christ. And that's why we're so meticulous about purifying the sacred vessels and not just washing them or putting them in a dishwasher like ordinary dishes. You see, we have reverence for the Eucharist because it's truly and fully Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so our faith in the Eucharist, it shapes and informs how we treat this gift and how we act at Mass. This is no ordinary meal. And yet, as with most things that are repeated and routine, we run the risk of letting our Eucharistic devotion become cold. Our faith can grow weak. We can lose our hunger for the Eucharist if we don't stop from time to time and look at our hearts. And we need to ask ourselves, am I hungry? Am I hungry for Jesus in the Eucharist? I find that looking to the Eucharistic devotion of the saints, it increases my own love and my hunger for the Eucharist. So I want to walk through a couple of stories from the saints and see how their, what their Eucharistic devotion looked like. St. Tarsisius was a Christian boy who lived in the third century in Rome. And one day he was tasked with smuggling the Eucharist to imprison Christians who were awaiting their martyrdom. Tarsisius was walking with the Eucharist hidden, wrapped up in his cloak, when some pagan boys and some men harassed him and demanded that he show them what, what he was hiding. And he refused them again and again. And so they mobbed him and they beat him to death. And when they turned over his body to see what was wrapped up in his cloak, they found nothing since the hosts had vanished. He was willing to die to protect the Eucharist. That's how much he loved the Eucharist. In 1966, more recently, Paul Comtois broke out, uh, a fire broke out in his home where he also had a private chapel containing the Eucharist. And after he got his family out safe, he ran into the flames. He ran into the flames to retrieve the Eucharist. And later they found his body badly burnt, but he was clutching the picks, the container that held the Eucharist. He had that devotion 
for our Lord's presence in the Eucharist. Also recently, in 1957, Father Janusz Brenner, a Hungarian priest, was called to give last rites to a dying man. And the call was a lie, and he was ambushed by communist revolutionaries who stabbed him 32 times. And they found his body the next day tightly clutching the Eucharist. He wouldn't give it up. He had that love, that devotion for the Eucharist. In 1900, the Boxer Rebellion in China sought to drive out all Western influences, including Christianity and Catholicism. And one day a priest was arrested in his church and he, was, and he watched the soldiers knock over the tabernacle and scatter the 32 hosts across the floor. And there was, a, there was a little girl in the church who ran and hid while the soldiers came in and they didn't find her. She was able to hide from them. And the priest was placed under house arrest and he noticed that the little girl came back every night to pray in that church. So back in that time, before the, the current revisions to liturgical law and canon law, we, uh, it wasn't permitted to touch the Eucharist with your hands. Receiving the Eucharist in the hands, that's a more recent, uh, that's a more recent permission that's been given. And it was, it was only permitted to receive the Eucharist once a day rather than twice a day. Now, obvious, it's, it's obvious that this was an extraordinary circumstance, but the little girl knew these laws and she followed them anyways. And the priest watched from his house. He watched her every night and saw that as she finished praying, she would kneel down, get on her hands and knees, and pick up one host at a time with her tongue. One host every day. She did this every night for 32 days. And on the last day when she consumed the last host, a guard was awakened and he came and killed her. She died out of love for the Eucharist. She saw that this was no ordinary bread. This is Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I could go on and on with stories. There are many more who have given their lives for the Eucharist. They were hungry for Jesus in the Eucharist, and they didn't take this gift for granted. Do we have that same devotion, that same faith, that same hunger that they had? The Eucharist is truly and fully Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's not just a symbol. It's truly Jesus. And we need a revival of love and reverence for the Eucharist in our church. And there's signs of that. This weekend, we had our Eucharistic Congress over at the Superior Dome, and it was, we had a wonderful turnout. And seeing everybody there, it, was, it just brought me a lot of hope and inspiration. So we're seeing a revival happen, but we need to keep it going. We need a revival in the Eucharistic culture in our church, just as there was a revival 800 years ago. And if we would want the culture of the church to change, we need to first begin with our own lives and examine if we truly believe. Do we truly have faith in the real presence in the Eucharist? And how does this shape our actions, shape our attitudes, shape our prayer? Our Lord promised that he would remain with his church to the end of the ages. And every time the priest says, this is my body and this is my blood, he makes good on this promise. He renews that promise. So today, let's pray for a greater hunger, a greater love, a greater faith in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine.